five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. And for those who uh, were here yesterday, uh, Airbus did a space day and they presented a lot of very interesting things um, and kind of where they're headed to the future. And I think it's the future of collaboration and a lot of um, really interesting things and that gets more people access to space. I won't say anything more. I don't want to give up any, any of your slides. So uh, please, a big applause for Rob uh, from Airbus. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the SpaceQ Podcast. This week's podcast is another live recording from the Canadian Space Summit. The speaker is Rob Postma, Vice President and Head of Government Export, Space Systems, Airbus. As you just heard, Airbus held an industry day the day before the summit started. It was an opportunity to engage further with other Canadian industry organizations as Airbus looks to grow its share of the market in Canada. As you'll hear Rob say, this talk, titled Airbus 50 Years Pioneering Progress, is meant to provide a picture of what Airbus has accomplished, but more importantly, what it's planning. Listen in. Thanks for the introduction, indeed. Yeah, we had a very nice uh, um, day yesterday where we had a lot of presentations, uh, very interactive. And um, so I'm not going to fully repeat it. There are some people that actually participated yesterday as well. So, first of all, I feel honored to be here. I'm very excited to see the type of topics and the variety that the society is bringing uh, onto the table. What we just saw was very interesting. Eh? Keeps the mind thinking for all of us that work in space. Eh? Now, um, I arrived here the day before yesterday. Coming out of the south of France, I was, of course, a bit surprised to see already the snow. And even something else, I saw Christmas lights out there. So I said, yes, it's this typical moment at the end of the year that you start thinking, it's the end of the year. And also in space, it's been a pretty amazing year. Who remembers a very powerful image of a small seed being planted on the dark side of the moon early January this year? That was cool. On our side, at Airbus, Together with uh, OneWeb, we had the first launch of uh, six uh, satellites of OneWeb. For us, that was a very exciting moment. Then, for example, on small launchers, I don't know how many companies have been started this year. It's 130, 150. The, 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 the new launcher initiatives is enormously. Right? Then, if you start thinking in going to the moon, NASA, now clearly saying in 24 we go to the moon. Very ambitious. Next week, ESA, Ministerial Council, they're going to decide on how much euros to put on the, the, next, uh, the next three years. The figure goes around 17 billion. Again, very exciting. But what we've seen also this year that uh, in space, Sometimes it really is rocket science. And rocket science, sometimes things can go wrong. We saw a satellite, Worldview, stopping to work. We saw another lunar lander, not land. 
We had a Vega launcher with a, a satellite of the UAE not working, so it's difficult out there. Huh? Even what we think is regular stuff is not so easy. But what probably caught the public mind most, and it has been cited uh, many times, has been, let's say, the, the landing on the moon 50 years ago. I think that is a really an element that really put space back on the table for, for many, many of us. Now, Airbus also happens to be celebrating its 50th anniversary this year. And when I talk about Airbus, then you're going to say, well, yes, it's the airplanes. No, 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 I'm talking about space, 50 years in space. So Airbus is longer in space than you might think. And in these 50 years, the, the joint industry that we have, we came a long way. If you look at what we use today in terms of space, everybody uses space today. In this 50 years, it has become common practice. When you talk about the next 50 years, then maybe you start talking about doing warfare in space, that's another issue. But today, the simple thing of weather forecast, look outside, if you wouldn't have, let's say, space, then your weather forecast would be, open up the window, it's a nice blue sky you would not be able to call your Uber or watch, let's say, the traffic jam on how to avoid it on your GPS going back from the conference. You would probably not have email, Skype, web access, but that might be a good idea. But you would miss your Netflix series. You would not have uh, the ice hockey games, I suppose. On another way, the stock market would be dead. Nowadays, stock market is timing its international sites. On Airbus itself, how would we navigate our planes? How would we have our pilots communicating? And how would you be getting your emails when you're sitting into the plane? It's daily business. Can talk about, let's say, the global uh, monitoring of the environment. How would we do that if we wouldn't have the, the satellites? expansion, monitoring of urban areas, or actually the, the, the real monitoring of, of, of agriculture, optimization. A lot of things, space is really out there. So what do we do today? We try to connect, observe, secure is something which was a previous topic. We talk about discovery, exp exploration, and actually, locating. So I'll go through a couple of these things on what we have been doing and what we will be doing. Because on all of these areas that you see, Airbus has been providing spacecrafts over the last, over the last, not probably 50 years, but it started 50 years ago. What you might not know is that in addition to spacecraft hardware, we do a lot of services on the telecom services, providing to military telecom, but also on earth observation. Huh? We do operation, we have an operational maritime surveillance service. We do agricultural, uh, precision agriculture. There's quite a lot of activities. Airbus is also a shareholder in Ariane Group. Again, going to space, 50% is owned by us.
And what you might maybe not know, I think we more or less are the largest supplier, globally speaking, of spacecraft equipment. Basically because we produce it for our own, and we have the production chains, and we provide it to partners, colleagues, competitors, etc. So there's hardly any spacecraft that is actually leaving without components of what Airbus has been delivering. Now, going to back to some of the topics, I wanted to start with secure. When I talk about the small satellite, 50 kilos, when I talk about the small launcher, then everybody would talk about new space. Well, it's not. It's old space. In those periods, probably they thought it was new space, and it was new space. You talk about 65. It's a small satellite which goes by the name of Asterix. Oui. Bande dessinée. Small, bright, and powerful. The satellite was not so smart. It transferred some, uh, some telemetry, because actually it was just made in order to qualify the launcher. Small launcher. And why was the launcher so important? Just like the space program, Kennedy wanted to have man on the moon. General de Gaulle wanted to be having independent access to space. So it was missile. Now missile not only going to space, but the, the missile technology development. So that program in 65 laid the foundation of what has become the French Space Agency. It laid the foundation of what has become Ariane Group. And the company that made the small asterisk was a company called Matra, which is now Airbus. So it also planted a seed for this Airbus. 50 years ago, same thing happened, more or less in, 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 uh, in, um, in Germany. Small satellite called Azure. A bit more, it was a bit later, two years later, a bit more sophisticated, was measuring uh, solar, uh, solar winds and, and, and uh, Nordic lights, eh? so at least it did something. Again, that program, not launched from Germany, but from Vandenberg, again, it laid the foundation for the German space program. DLR came out of it. Companies contributing to this program were based in different sites in Germany. I can call uh, Ottobrunn, Friedrichshafen, Bremen. All sites where you now have the Airbus sites. So also here, planting the seeds for space agencies and industry. Now, when I talk about securing, at that time, why do I show this as secure? Because at that time, it was securing access to space. When we talk about satellites today, this securing is something completely different. We talk about defense. Huh? For example, all the UK MOD communication goes through an outsourced satellite service that Airbus is operating called Skynet. So that's what we do. We provide satellites to different nations hard assets, and sometimes we operate them. Same thing goes with Earth observation satellites. Since the very beginning, we were involved in different, different national programs, whether this is in Germany, on, 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 on the radar programs, SARA, on which we're working now, or on the, the optical programs, more on the French side. We worked on Helios. We're working now on CSO. And on both sides, we're thinking about what next we'll have to, uh, to think about for the future. When we talk about securing the other elements as well, 
we mentioned uh, having a satellite looking at another satellite. In France, uh, Mr. Parly uh, was very obvious about it. He said, well, we had uh, probably a Russian small satellite uh, coming very close to one of ours. So we need to see and, and, and where we go with this. So the security, I mean, the fact that you have uh, space commands not only in the US but also being set up in France means that also here you see that the security, the element, the discussion we just had before becomes very important. So also here the awareness and we had a very nice presentation yesterday with the team on SSA, surveillance of space, ground-based or actually uh, from, uh, from, uh, from the satellite itself. The other element what is with the systems is Connecting. I cannot talk about connecting today if I wouldn't talk about, let's say, the last endeavor or the most of the endeavor which has shaken our company most. That's the collaboration with OneWeb on the setup of uh, the OneWeb constellation. We set up a joint venture with OneWeb, OneWeb satellites, whereby we set up the production of the satellites. Now, the funny thing of this one is basically that you really had to think completely out of the box. It's not a large satellite that will take two years to, uh, to, to, to provide. No, we needed to come up with a system whereby satellites need to be produced at a rhythm of two satellites per day. In order to do so, this means that you can not do all the environmental testing, etc. So a lot of the attention was not really going only into the satellites, but in the actual production of the satellites. The automated production, making sure that there's no errors made during the production, automate where possible. But in order to have this production, you need to have suppliers on the beginning that actually can deliver, I don't know, 15,000 star trackers or whatever. You need to go also there and work really hard to put that in place. Yeah, so here it was really the production. I was not talking about the operation, but it's really the mind shift that we had to put in place in our industry in order to set a real-life production chain. I wanted to make a reference basically to the presentations that were just given, being given in the, the, the room next door on, let's say, the, the, the satellite constellations, because one of the main effects that will, uh, the, the, the OneWeb constellation will have will be also, of course, the, the, the access on uh, the Arctic area. Eh? And it was just a small, uh, small messages uh, article sent by uh, OneWeb recently. Now, as soon as you spark the fire, and change the way you produce, automatically the virus is gone and you start thinking about all the other products that you have and do you do it right and how can you do it better? So we started thinking about doing it differently also with some of our other satellites in, of connecting, whereby, again, we see in the current, in the current uh, world the prices for, 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 for data transfer dropping. So if you operate a satellite, uh, you might need more customers for uh, that are paying less. On the other hand, you see that the customers are changing. They're not watching TV anymore. They're all watching Netflix. So it's not a broadband, but it's downward beams with only data transfer. So as a company, before you start investing in a satellite, which can do only one thing, you will think twice. So. Here typically, and we, to be honest, we had this also inspired by SES in order to think about it differently, how to operate a satellite. And what we can do today is have a fully conf configurable or reconfigurable satellite made. 
So you can change, let's say, when the market changes, you can adapt the way the, the telecom satellite is, uh, is, is uh, actually uh, being used. We go further in the process, you say, we make a satellite, since it's modifiable, we can do a lot, but maybe not answer 100% of what you want, but 80% we can do. And if this is 80% for most of the operators, we can build the same satellite multiple times, which will bring the cost down. If we go further, then also we make it smaller and have, let's say, three satellites on the same launches, which reduces the launch cost. So we went into this process of a different type of satellite, basically for commercial telecom operators, but also fully accessible for governmental or military operators. So the ball is going and you start to putting new technology, new ways of working in all the new platforms. Talking about innovation, solar panel. All the spacecrafts will need solar panels. We have lots of spacecrafts that we work on, so we need lots of solar panels. So at a certain moment, somebody has a bright idea, why don't we invest something and have these solar panels made quicker and easier? So yes, we invested this year 15 million uh, euro in a solar power, in a solar panel uh, plant, whereby we started to automate what we could and where it made sense. So we do it for our own aircrafts, and as I said just before, we're delivering equipment, it's accessible to all, let's say, other users that would like to have access to uh, these, these solar panels. Then I come to observe. And then you think, indeed, Airbus is not really linked to it. But if I do some name dropping, you will start finding out that Airbus is there for quite some time. The spot satellites were built by what is now Airbus. The, te the Terrasar uh, satellite, Tandemix radar satellites, are built by what is now Airbus. So there is a long history on actually building these satellites. And we don't stop with this. Huh? The interesting thing is that we've seen some shift in the market up to spot five. It was a governmental program. Spot six and seven, we discussed with Kness and they said, you guys, you're mature. You don't put a lot of innovation in your satellite, so it's not up to you. It's up to uh, the business to do, it, to do so. So we developed the satellites. We launched them more or less 10 years ago. If I look back, it was a commercial, viable, interesting program at 1.5 meter resolution something launched by you thought there wasn't a market anymore because everybody was looking at a higher resolution. So here, sometimes, you need to take a risk, that's new space as well, and put your money where your mouth is and actually start working on these objects. We continue to do so with the next generation of Pleiades. Pleiades was a French national program. We'll be working on Pleiades Neo will be a constellation of four satellites with a very high capacity at 30 centimeter. It's fully funded by Airbus. You talk about an investment of uh, 500 million uh, and a lot north of that only for the space segment. So also here we need to have trust in the future and we do have trust in that. Because these systems again um, also there, why four satellites, why not six or 24? These are powerful machines in a sense that, and I had a discussion yesterday during the presentations, I see no commercial interest in acquiring an image over Ottawa every 90 minutes. I wouldn't know who in Ottawa would buy an image over Ottawa every 90 minutes. There's none. I can, however, sell, for example, the full coverage of Canada at 30 centimeter 
that I can do once, twice, or maybe three times per year. That's the type of systems that we are talking about. In addition, you have other revisits. However, if you want to go to smaller systems, more revisits, etc., we have been recently awarded another uh, contract. Actually, it's a, it's a, it's a co-investment together with the French Space Agency in a, a program where we develop small satellites. Small satellites, 250 kilo, 50 centimeter uh, nadir, and uh, the program is co-funded. We invest as much as Kines uh, does in, into the program. We start with a small program of, uh, of four satellites, and the graphics are the ones that you uh, see on top. It uh, has a specific form. We can launch them, let's say, with eight satellites or 16 satellites on the, on the, on the larger, larger uh, uh, launchers. Also here, quick reaction wheels um, and the possibility to have them in inclined orbits, for example, allowing over certain areas, you talk about conflicting areas of the world, whereby you could have an image every 30 minutes, every hour but dedicated mission on specific elements. So also here, we advance and invest in the future. Then, discover. What do you think you see? You're going to tell me again it's an old picture of 50 years old, but no, it's not. Actually, it's a very modern selfie taken by Beppe Colombo. Beppe Colombo is on his way to Mercury. It was launched uh, last year. Still has uh, seven years to go. And when it arrives there, it will split up in a mission from ESA and a mission from JAXA, basically, to, to study the planet. Other discoveries. I would like you to come to the UK and come to Stevenage. And there you can discover Mars. Because in Stevenage, in the UK, we made Mars. We made a copy of Mars. And why did we do that? Because we have developed what we called the ExoMars rover, and we named it after Rosalind Franklin. So we developed a small Mars rover that will fly uh, next year, I think, to, uh, to Mars, uh, in a mission whereby ESA works together with the Russian, Russian Space Agency. And then we definitely hope to see some nice new selfies from Mars. But that's only the beginning. With ESA, now we're working on what is called Mars Sample Return. Same thing, but we need to bring it back. You send out the rover, you drill a hole, you take some material, and you bring it back. So we're working also there on that mission. Some other discovery missions that we'll be launching, because we really come to a point that uh, all the factories on our side were pretty full, and we're launching a lot in the coming months. In next year, we have uh, what is called a solar orbital, whereby uh, we launch a system also, let's say, financed by ESA, that will go and, uh, and actually check the, 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 the space weather and uh, needs to provide some better understanding over the sun. And that will be a mission of eight years. And sometimes we think small, and, and uh, next month we launch a small satellite, which is 300 kilo-ish, uh, called Cheops, which is actually a telescope. And with this telescope, we're going to look beyond the sun, basically looking at exoplanets. So also here we used existing platform that we used for some other satellites in order to have a very rapid uh, delivery. So there again, a delivery that will come soon. Now, another one. 
Rosetta. It's really cool. And this is a real selfie because it took him, Rosetta took itself on the picture together with the comet huh? 67P that you can see there in the background. Now also here, Rosetta was built by an Airbus LED team and actually launched in 2004, so quite a while ago. And we saw the images in, in uh, uh, when was that, 2014, I think it was, after a 10-year voyage. Then it had a small lander, Philae, landing on the comet. This is a lifetime of some of the engineers. Huh? They've been working on it, and they've been waiting for the, for the flight to do, and for the, for, the, for the Philae lander to land on the comet. Regretfully, we had some issues with power supply, and it only beeped for 60 hours. Then Rosetta continued for two years to take some observations around the comet, and then also landed on the comet. When you have a success like this, it really is an important one, and not only for the engineers, but also for the kids. Because it's clear we need to make sure that we find the right talent to come and work in our environment, which will become more difficult. It used to be very simple. Huh? When my son, when he was uh, still young, I mean, uh, like any other son, it's very easy. What, what do they have interest when they're young? They're interested in dinosaurs or astronauts. So we need to, to capture them very early and make sure that we keep on, um, that they keep on, let's say, the motivation to go, uh, to go into space. And I, why do I uh, look at this particular point? Because what we're looking now uh, in, in terms of hiring the new engineers that we definitely uh, need, we're in competition with a lot of other companies. When I would go to Munich, where I have, uh, let's say, the German colleagues, in Munich, you also have BMW with autonomous vehicles and very interesting objects. So there is definitely a, a war for talent ongoing with different industries. Huh? So it's important to have, to organize the space weeks, to have a society that preaches the good words of space. It's an important one. So that they can go and think about exploring later on. Because it's the young kids of now that will have, uh, that will see exploring 50 years from now. And I was talking about my son, but when the first woman steps on the moon, there's a good chance, actually, that she will have traveled on a spaceship that is propelled by Airbus technology. Like I mentioned before, there is ideas of going to the moon by 24. Most likely, it will happen with the Orion spacecraft. Now, Airbus is collaborating very closely on this one, on the European part, and we provide the European service module, which is basically having all critical elements to make sure that astronauts are being kept alive and moving. It's actually one of the first time, if not the first time, first time? First time, that we have a European company with ESA working together on a NASA project. So that's a nice tick in the box. But it means that we're in there, not only f for this one, we are in there for the long term. And then again, you come to the international collaboration, which is definitely needed in, or in order to maintain this type of uh, exploration programs. Now, it's not only the Europeans, governments, or the American governments that want to go to the moon. You see a lot of interest, probably, in going to the moon. And once you're there, 
you need truckers, taxi drivers, and whatnot. So if you start thinking about how to transport, etc., that is something that we uh, took not for granted, and we started looking, and there is an, 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 an interesting interest, uh, French-German, uh, French to, start, to start thinking about, let's say, logistics of going to the lunar gateway and setting up connections between the lunar gateway and the moon. Now, I can send you another video, because there is a very nice one, but I'm not going to do that again, and I'm going to invite you to see my two colleagues there, who will be at the booth, and if you see a video, it's a lot nicer than what you saw before, in indicating actually what this new spacecraft, because it's really thinking a bit out of the box, it's really thinking about what can we do in order to set up, let's say, a logistics company, so to speak, on the moon. Having said that, I hope that I was clear a bit in, in, in the reason why I was talking about Airbus. I mentioned it a couple of times, and going back to the 50 years of, of, of track record that we have. Because Airbus, you mentioned I was coming from Germany. I don't have a German accent. I'm not German. I'm not French. I live in Toulouse, but I'm Dutch. It's a pretty European company. But we're not only European, we're also Canadian. We employ 4,000 people here in Canada. We procure, Chris, a billion every year from our suppliers, which gives an employment for another 17,000 persons. We see ourselves as Canadian, and we want to be more Canadian even. We think we can contribute to the Canadian space programs, we're reaching out the hand for industrial partners for programs here in Canada or elsewhere, the moon. So it's definitely a confirmation of the interest that we have in Airbus of collaborating, let's say, with uh, all participants and members of the society. Thank you very much. Well, that's a wrap on this podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca. I read and answer all your comments in a timely fashion. You can also find SpaceQ on Twitter at Canada in Space, and we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook. Regardless of which app you use to listen to us, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate our podcast and write a review. Of course, that's only if you like us. Your rating and review will help us in getting the podcast widely listened to. And hey, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash spaceq. Lastly, if you haven't listened to the latest episode of our new podcast, Terranauts, what are you waiting for? Host Ian Christie is a natural interviewer who knows how to tease good stories from those who work every day in space, but don't go to space. Terranauts is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite app. Listen to it now. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.